Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Conscious Capitalists podcast. And here with my favorite partner in these journeys, Raj Shasodia. Hi, Raj. You mean the only partner you've got. <laughs> oh, oh, hurt me big. <laughs> my favorite, nonetheless. <laughs> again. These weeks go by fast, you know. It's they do, don't they? It's amazing how quickly the time is flying in between doing these. Um, and today, you know, we've done the other four pillars, the other three pillars. Uh, we've done purpose, we've done stakeholders and culture. And today, in the next uh, couple of episodes, we're going to focus on leadership. What does conscious leadership mean? So that'll be what we're going to work on today, sort of an intro to that concept. Um, talk a little bit about what we think leadership is, what does conscious leadership mean, and then really go into another famous Raj acronym. What's the favorite acronym this time, Raj? Oh, you want me to spoil the surprise already? Ah, okay. Keep it a surprise till later. We'll, we'll surprise you. You got to listen further into the podcast if you want to hear what Raj's latest acronym is uh, when we get into this, uh, into this discussion. Um, well, maybe let me begin by, you know, uh, you know, what is leadership? You know, on the one hand, for 2,000 years, people have been writing and thinking about what makes great leaders. You know, you go all the way back to Aristotle, writing about, uh, you, know, um, you know, leaders need to know thyself and everything else, and people trying to define what do they think are those characteristics? Are, are people born with these things? Are they things that people develop? Um, and, uh, you know, starting way back then, it was, of course, the great man theory that, you know, you were sort of born a leader and that if we studied enough about what those characteristics were, we'd know what a leader is. Um, and so leadership theory has been around for a long time. And I think at one level, um, the simple definition I love is from John Quincy Adams, where he just sort of said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, this may be the most written about subject of all. <laughs> tens of thousands of books, yeah, and yet the least well-practiced. Hmm. So, you know, the, the number of truly exemplary leaders in the world, yeah. even throughout history. Yeah. Is, is not that many, right? And the part of it has to do with why did people become leaders? Mm. It was so rooted in power and ego. Yeah. It, it was about becoming Alexander the Great, right? Or becoming, yeah. you know, ruling over, lording it over other people. And, uh, and that really is not leadership. I mean, that's tyranny and that has led to extraordinary suffering. So good leadership leads to extraordinary fulfillment and joy and flourishing. Yeah. That leadership leads to untold amounts of human suffering and misery. And that's been our history on this planet. Yeah. Right? Because of the kind of leadership that we've had. And so leadership matters always. 
you know, there's some people who say, well, we're evolving as, as human beings and we are much more conscious than we ever were and we are more educated and uh, more informed and more connected and more intelligent even. Yeah. Right? Who yeah. Been writing for decades. So, so maybe we don't need leadership, right? We're all self-directing, self-authoring beings. And I think that's a misconception. Mm. But leadership always is important. Yeah. Remain so, and I think even more so today because of two things. I think one is all of the perils that we face and the massive challenges, existential challenges that exist out there yeah. are crying out for leadership, right? And secondly, the human potential has never been greater. Mm. The capacities of each of us at an individual level are far greater than they've ever been, but all of that has to be channeled. Yeah. into something constructive. So I think, again, we start with the Drucker quote often in these uh, cases uh, because he expresses ideas so, so beautifully. So he said there are only three things that happen naturally in organizations. Friction, confusion, and underperformance. Mm. Everything else takes leadership. <laughs> so you can, you can bring the most well-intentioned, intel, uh, intelligent, talented, caring people, put them in a room, Come back two hours later, and you will return to friction, confusion, and underperformance. Yeah. Till somebody steps into the mantle of leadership. Yeah. The awesome responsibility of leadership, which is to say, what are we trying to do here? What's our vision for what is possible? And of course, a great leader is able to see beyond the horizon. They can see possibilities that others cannot even imagine. So I think that's one of the great traits of a leader is, is vision. And then the ability to inspire others with that vision. Yeah. And then, of course, the more mundane but important task of how do we get there, right? What's our strategy? What's our plan? How do we utilize each of our strengths and the resources that we have in order to achieve or realize or come closer uh, to that vision? So I think leadership is as important or maybe more important than ever. In today's yeah. world, the shortage of leaders is as acute as ever. Well, I think you're so right, Raj. I mean, one of the things that we talked about last time was about creating truly human organizations. And... Uh, as we've discussed before, you know, truly human organizations need truly human leaders. And uh, Walter Robb, who was the co-CEO of Whole Foods for a number of years, had a quote that I liked, which is, uh, the leader you are is the person you are. You know, in a sense, it's about the personal as well, you know, about who you are as a human being. And, um, and an organization can never be more conscious than the level of consciousness that the leaders or the humanity that the leaders bring to it. That's and, right. Which is why developing yourself as a leader is, is the greatest duty and responsibility you have as a leader. Yeah. As yeah. your consciousness, as you said, will impact everybody else. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there's also been, you know, different mindsets of what we've expected from leaders you know in in the 20th century you could argue it was about competition winner takes all you know it was uh about being logical rational and being achievement oriented um and even in our leadership development we thought about it in terms of skills or competencies something we could train people on and often as you said uh you know it became a very ego driven uh, kind of exercise. And I think that as we move into the 21st century and we face these enormous uncertainties that businesses face today, you know, look at where we are today, right, with the, the, the virus and the political uncertainty. Um, dealing with this kind of uncertainty takes a different kind of, of mindset of leader. 
You know, it needs to be somebody who's coming from the we space and is thinking about how we are doing this. Collaboration, shared winning, as much from the heart and mind and being able to connect with people from an empathetic point of view. Um, you know, a lot of what we've talked about in terms of, you know, servant leader type of things. Um, and I think that that's the challenge that leaders have today is how do we combine the heart and the mind together um, so that we get the best of our people and um, and that's yeah. what we need. <laughs> the, the image of leadership of the sense of what is a great leader. I mean, a lot of that is still locked into our collective memory based upon what used to be, right? You look at movies in the old, you know, the vision or the ideal of a leader is General George Patton. Well, my favorite example is saying, take General George Patton and let's put him in Silicon Valley in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, a startup over there and see how well that style goes, you know, like, oh, maybe not so well. I think there's a lag still, right? Because so I would say it was rooted in a militaristic way of thinking. Yeah. The business was kind of a, a version of, of warfare in a way, right? I mean, I think so much of what we do, the way we lead, manage, organize, motivate, etc. So much of that actually came from the military. Yes. The roots huh. of corporate management are rooted in, in the armies, in the militaries of the world, right? That's what we had as models, right? That's uh, the only large organizations that existed were armies. So we borrowed the command and control style of leadership, the hierarchical way of organizing and all the language that went along with it, strategy, yep. tactics, and operations. So that militaristic approach, which is rooted in the exercise of power, Right, so there's somebody sitting at the apex and everybody else is a foot soldier or lieutenants and so forth, and you basically direct the whole operation. So it's all about power. And in those days, actually, if you go back 100 years, if you were not the founder of the company, right, if you go back, you, leaders were not that highly paid, mm. but they had tremendous power. I mean, yeah. they were completing an army of, in the case of General Motors, like a million people, right? So it was all rooted in power. And then sometime around the... 1970s, alongside with Milton Friedman and the shareholder value paradigm and the profit maximization and all of that, it went from military to mercenary. Mm. Leadership became about who can deliver the numbers, mm. who can create the greatest amount of shareholder value, and we don't care how you do it, you know, just do it, right? So it's mercenary, hired hands, hired guns, right? You get hired from company to company based upon what you did there. Yeah. You, you uh, get promoted based upon what you did there. And again, the human cost of that the environmental cost of that, all of that was, was not really factored in. So that's all about profits. We went from power to purpose as the primary, uh, profit to the primary as a primary driver. And I think now we're in the age of missionary leadership. It's mm. really, it's not about having a business with a mission so much as having a mission with a business. Yeah. We do something meaningful in the world. And for that, we need an economic engine to do it, right? So what's the business model that allows us to grow and yeah. scale around that? So we've gone from power as a primary driver to profit as a primary driver to now purpose, of course, that needs to include the healthy exercise of power and, the, and of course, healthy levels of profit in order to achieve that purpose. But I think that's a significant shift that's happened in the business environment and therefore also in what we expect out of leaders. Yeah, you know, in a sense, you know, how really does matter, how you show up as a leader um, and um, how you role model what what's good behavior here and how you connect to people to bring out the best in an essence you know amy edmondson's work at harvard around psychological safety you know yeah. leaders create a psychologically safe environment where people feel that they can take risks they can accept challenges and not feel 
that it's all about did I, you know, did I do what I was told, but rather can I experiment? Because today's world, you know, you really need to be able to do rapid prototyping. You need to be able to experiment very quickly what works and what doesn't work. Get the feedback. Really accept that sometimes failure is a good thing, <laughs> that it's a learning experience. Yeah, that's the growth mindset, right, that Carol Dweck has written about and many companies, including Microsoft, have used. Yeah. It's a great effect, right, to create a culture in which everybody is learning and growing and therefore the opportunity, uh, the permission to fail and even the encouragement yeah. uh, if, to fail at things. So I, I think that, that that sort of leads us to sort of when we sort of talk about when this leadership word hits the consciousness word and you put them together, um, what do we think is different and why do we call it conscious leadership? Raj, what, what do you think is different? So I think it's having a broader conception of what is the role of a leader, what am I trying to do? So I think consciousness is about waking up, seeing mm -hmm. the bigger picture, seeing how things are interconnected and interdependent, uh, understanding the impact that we're having on the world and being aligned with, uh, with the desire to have a higher, a positive uh, impact in the world. So. That which is unconscious, if you don't become conscious in your leadership, that means you're operating from unconscious impulses, yeah. right? You are reactive, right? You are being triggered, right? You are acting in a defensive way. Yeah. So, so as Carl Jung said, unless you make the unconscious conscious, yeah. it will direct your life yeah. and you will, you will call it fate, right? So the question is, who is driving your car? Are you driving your car or is it being driven by all of these random influences that you happen to accumulate over your lifetime? I think that is the real journey here. I love that, Raj, because, you know, I think it, it partly plays to this shift that we're making between leadership being a doing, leadership does something, to leadership being a being. And right. So it's more than knowing. It's really about emotion more than cognition. It's yeah. about spirit, maybe more than matter. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, Fred Kaufman's definition that he was playing with in his book, Conscious Business. Um, yeah. But it's about the being aspect. Um, well, and just the doing and knowing. It has to start, it's an inside out, right? Or you have, there's an inner game and an outer games. So yeah. much of leadership work is focused on the behaviors that we want and the skills and competencies, right? But yeah. it has all sourced from somewhere and we have to work at that source level. Yeah. Because then the, the, the appropriate behaviors and skills will, will emanate. So combination, again, of, of, uh, of being and then doing. That yeah. is the right kind of doing. So having said that, I mean, you know, um, what is, well, well, let's stop the surprise. You've been holding everybody well, no, in tension. <laughs> I, I would say before we get there, I mean, I would also say when we talk about conscious leadership, it's about having an expanded perspective about it. Mm. What is, uh, is, the role of leaders and what are we trying to do? And for me, the epiphany came when I met Bob Chapman yeah. and experienced uh, his leadership and how they think about it at their company, Barry Miller. And when he said the leadership is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to us, mm. that the way we lead impacts the way people live, which means what happens, it's not, I used to think it's about what happens nine to five, Monday to Friday, you have a great experience, yeah. you're purposeful, you're treated with respect and dignity, you've got empowerment and freedom and all of the great things. But the fact is, the way we lead impacts the way people live. So yeah. they'll go home and treat their children and family in a certain way, depending on 
what we have created at work and what we have taught them about leadership. Right? Yeah. So it's an expanded perspective to say it's first of all the stewardship of the lives entrusted to us. It's not just about saying how can I use this army of people to achieve our goals. It's about saying how can I to, with these people go to a better place, take them to a better place, help them develop and evolve as human beings as they are meant to. Yeah. Right? Then how do we make sure that you know emotions are contagious and yeah. How do we make sure that there's positive contagion coming out of what happens at work with what happens at home? So I think that expanded perspective, I think our friend Kip Tyndall phrases it well. He talks about the power of your wake. Mm. So when you are riding in a boat uh, or a ship, you look behind and there's this enormous wake that you're leaving. But most people are focused on where they're going, so they don't pay attention. But that yeah. wake has consequences for other ships around you and also for the life underneath. Uh, the surface. So we have to pay attention to our wake and mm -hmm. recognize all of the impacts that our leadership is having on people's lives. And once you do that, then you can set about making sure that we are all positive impacts. Yeah. That we don't have any of the so-called negative side effects of our leadership. I think that's so right. And, 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 it, and it shifts a little bit of the focal point of leadership from um, it's all about me and my ego and what I can get as a leader and the power and entity of it to that stewardship element of this is a privilege and a responsibility yeah. to be a leader. And, mm -hmm. um, and I love, you know, I often ask leaders when I'm working with them or coaching with them, you know, two questions. One is a variation on the wake question, which is, you know, what is your legacy as a leader? Like, what do you want to be remembered for beyond just whatever, you know, financial success the business had. And, and in a sense, what is that wake you want to leave behind? You know, if you can design the wake, what do you want it to be? Well, he really got the numbers. <laughs> and he, was, he was a jerk and he stepped over people, but, you know, he got the numbers, you know, like, wow, that's a wonderful legacy. Um, no, yeah, so I think there's a, you know, my girlfriend Neha calls it triple vision. Yeah. So we need to always hold triple vision in everything we do. So it's me, we, and world. Yeah. So what often happens with conscious leaders uh, and highly purposeful people is they forget about the me. Mm. So much in service. Like if you think I'm a servant leader, that means I'm going to sacrifice myself yeah. and pay the ultimate price in order to make sure that something great happens in the world, right? Yeah. The fact is, if you don't start with me, so it's me, we, world. And what I says, I need to heal me in order to serve we, right? And so we can impact the world in a positive way. Yeah, right? so yeah. Become the whole leader, a whole person that I'm capable of being so that I can then serve everybody connected to my company so that we can then have a positive impact on society. So I think that broadening of vision. Yeah. And that could then also include immediate, short-term and long-term. Yeah. Right? What do I need to do in each of those domains? You know? So I think that's a broader canvas uh, for leaders to think about in terms of making sure that they're not neglecting themselves uh, in the process. Just like we said, companies are their most important stakeholders. Yeah. Leaders are their most important stakeholders as well. Well, I like that because it also leads to another element of that, which is um, when we talk about conscious leadership, we're not necessarily talking about somebody being soft or lacking firmness or strength of character. You know. I could argue in some ways that, you know, um, really good servant leaders, you know, they're in the marketplace to win. They're, they're, they're competitive. They, they want their business to be successful. It's, it's not a trade-off between, 
you know, how I show up in the success of the business. It, it's maybe they care even more in some ways, you know, they're well, yeah. fiercely driven to see the organization achieve their purpose. You know, the purpose matters. That if you have profits, it's purpose, people, purpose, and performance, you know, you know, a healthy, healthy coexistence with each other, because without performance, we cannot take care of the people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The yeah. So all of those have to go together. Yeah, it's it's firmness and strength of character, you know, mm -hmm. it's uh, and, and so again, we don't want to get into this soft versus firm versus mm -hmm. no, um, being a servant leader, having this kind of conscious leadership orientation still means you make hard decisions. Of and course. it includes making hard people decisions sometimes, you know, tough love. Um, and Bob Chapman again expresses it this way that he draws a parallel between leadership and parenting. Mm. Parenting, leadership is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to us, as is parenting, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that doesn't mean always saying yes. Yeah. That includes tough love and saying no is the right thing to say at times. Yeah. So holding people to standards and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think uh, ultimately those leaders have a sort of paradoxical combination of sort of, uh, you know, deep personal humility and yet at the same time, you know, intense professional will, you know, that they, so you still have to have that will to operate to, and it's inspired from a different place, but it doesn't go away in terms of uh, it being a necessary, if not sufficient quality of being a really good leader. I think that's what we can get into now, the qualities uh, to cultivate as a conscious leader. Perfect. So that means you're going to unveil the, <laughs> we're going to have the big unveiling now of the acronym of the day. So the acronym here is selfless. Uh-huh. Conscious leader is selfless. Uh, so what do we mean by that? What is the opposite of selfless? It is selfish. Mm. So if you're a selfish human being, what does that mean? And you become a leader and you're a selfish human being. What that means is you're going to look at everybody you lead and see them as objects for your success. Mm. You're going to use all these people to yeah. do things that are going to help me realize what my dream is. Yeah. Right? And that makes you a tyrant. That is not mm. a leader. It's the definition of a tyrant. Somebody who uses other people, the people they lead around to achieve their personal goals. Yeah. So a true leader has gone beyond even self-actualization, you know, which is you know, the peak and Maslowian mm. development psychology. Uh, it is self-transcendence, as Viktor Frankl talked about. There's the level beyond self-actualization, which is self-transcendence. And I am now about the collective self. Mm. By the way, that has to include me, because if yeah. I'm not alive or I'm not healthy, I can't serve, but it has to be broader than that. Right? So yeah. selfless. And it kind of builds on servant leadership to an extent, but it goes beyond that, right? Yeah. Um, and so then it stands for the qualities. Mm. It starts with strength, you know, based on what you were just talking about, right? I think number one quality, leaders have to be strong. I mean, they have to have moral courage, right? They have to have grit, they have to have resilience, uh, they have to be able to withstand all of the criticism and uh, negativity, et cetera, that's going to come. If you try to do anything meaningful in this world, you will encounter resistance. So you have to be able to face all of that conflict and yeah. keep the resolve strong. So strength is extremely important. Yeah, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I've been a CEO at a professional service firm and I was talking to somebody else who'd been worldwide chairman of a very big professional service firm. And we were, we were both talking about the fact that in that role, Nobody comes to you with the good things that are going on in the business, <laughs> in partnerships. You know, people are going to come to you all the time with the problems, and your ability to 
keep your center and, and have that, uh, that strength of character, that grit, that, that resilience in the face of having people bring with you a lot of issues and challenges that, that they, because they can't deal with them or there are conflicts, you've got to be able to be strong enough to stand up and, and help, help address those. So okay. the first S is strength. Yeah, and I think that goes to a very key quality as well, which is personal power. Mm. So we have to cultivate personal power mm. as, a, as, as a leader. All of us have to, really. And what does that mean? It's, it's, it's not positional power. Right? So you get power from your title, right? But the day that title is gone, you have zero power. Yeah. But if you have power that emanates from within, from you being connected to your essence, for your mm. higher purpose, right? And you're drawing upon you know, the, the source in a way for, for the strength because you're doing something that is in harmony with what's needed in the world and what's your true uh, destiny and purpose in this life, you have access to that incredible power. So cultivating personal powers is, you know, that whole distinction between power versus force. <coughs> there are a lot of leaders who, who have power over people, not power with. Right. It's power with people. That for, for you to become strong doesn't mean other people have to become weak. For you to have more power doesn't mean you steal power from others, right? So it has to be have power with. So how do you cultivate personal power? And that's mm. a big part of this journey is knowing your values, using those values to make aligned decisions, uh, knowing how to draw healthy boundaries, uh, leaning into necessary conflict in a way that's honest and curious and accountable and compassionate. And those are some of the things that that's a journey, I think, for us to go on. And I think it's interesting that I find conscious leaders who are generally very nice human beings, right? They're rooted in love and they have a spiritual side to them and so forth. Some of them, and maybe many of them, are uncomfortable with the exercise of power. Mm. Somehow power is seen as a corrupting thing, right? And therefore, mm. they may not be as much in their personal power mm. as other leaders are who are, you know, sort of militaristic and, uh, you know, hard charging. Mm. I think what we, what we need to do is to empower conscious leaders, have them more in their personal power. As, as uh, Peter Senge has said, power and virtue need to go together, right? And unfortunately in the world, they very often do not. Mm -hmm. Another quote also I want to, I came across yesterday that I want to share here, uh, that separating church and state was a good idea, but separating power and consciousness is not. <laughs> so you think about that, power and consciousness need to come together. Mm. Again, we need to empower conscious leaders and make sure that they cultivate enough strength to be able to do what we want to do because that strength is then deployed in service of something noble that yeah. needs to emerge in the world beyond just shareholder value for one particular company. Right? So that is the S in selfless. Uh, then the E is energy, enthusiasm, right? It takes a lot of energy, obviously, to be a leader. It right? doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert and you know jumping on you know, the chair all the time. <laughs> used to do hop around on stage like a mad monkey, but you still have to have tremendous energy. And, and I think leaders draw upon that because they're connected to conscious leaders and they uh, have a sense of meaning and purpose and that gives them energy. Mm. Right? Energy and enthusiasm that goes with that. And then the third is love. You know, conscious leaders have to, leaders have to come from a place of love and care. For others, their primary motivation has to be rooted in love, right? You have to come from a plan. Think about it. Think about the strength and the love, right? Mm. The S and the L. Strength without love is tyranny. Mm. Now we had lots of leaders in the last century, 
on the global stage who were extremely strong leaders who almost destroyed human civilization mm. and stalin and mao and pol pot i mean we had no shortage of those guys right strength without love love without strength is is ineffective it doesn't get anything done right it's passive yeah. so we need strength and love together yeah and that's combination right martin luther king said we must be tough minded and tender hearted yeah that combination so the leaders who embody that combination lincoln Gandhi, Mandela, King, they shifted the world for the better. Well, it's also interesting, Raj, is that, uh, you know, the opposite of love is fear. And, um, you know, to the earlier point about psychological safety, you know, a, a, a leader who doesn't bring their love to the, or their caring yeah. and uh, to the workplace, you know, what are they bringing then? They're bringing power and position, ego and fear. Mm -hmm. And, that's never going to bring out the best in your people. And, you know, going back to just being very pragmatic about innovation and the ability to experiment and learn quickly, which is so critical to business success today. If people don't feel safe and they don't feel cared for, then they're not going to be at their best. And that emanates from the leader who creates that atmosphere around them. And so that idea that the leader is someone who cares, um, and I just think it's such a human thing. You know, we want to work with people who care about us. Yeah. You know, who wants to work for someone who thinks they don't care about me and I'm just a, I'm just a means to an end for them. It, exactly. it just doesn't work. You know, as human beings, we want to work in groups or teams where we feel there's caring and appreciation. Yeah. We will do extraordinary things in those settings. I mean, people will achieve extraordinary things when they have a leader who they think believe cares about them. And you know, in order to be a leader rooted in love, is you have to love yourself, mm. right? Uh, you can't love others if you don't love yourself, which means that you also need to heal yourself. Mm. Because you cannot come from a place of love and care for others until you heal yourself. Because if you're carrying around these inner wounds, Mm. Usually rooted in childhood experiences and traumas, we all have some level of PTSD, right? Things happen in each of our lives. Life is difficult enough. So if you haven't processed that, and if you haven't healed those traumas, then you will be coming from a place of fear and from a place of triggering, yeah. sort of amygdala hijack of suddenly, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that me, we uh, continuum. It's a continuum from the me to the we as a team and as a leader, Trying to do that well requires a certain level of self-awareness and self-knowledge. Which and also would then include vulnerability, right? You love yourself and love others. You're going to be willing to be open with them and be vulnerable and show, you know, where you need help or your challenges that you have. Yeah. Which leads to the next letter, F, which is flexible. That ability to be vulnerable, flexible, that yeah. ability to move and shift appropriately and um, have that fluidity of, of how you think and how you empower and enable your team uh, is, I think, an important part, and hence the F in the, in the selfless. Right, so you show up with the right energy for, for that situation, right? So you've cultivated, you know, as you know, I wrote a book called Shakti Leadership, which was about integrating the masculine family, right? So that's kind of the strength and the love, if you will, right? Yeah. Not to generalize, but and, and it's not talking about men and women. It's just talking about masculine energy, feminine energy. I mean, that's kind of rooted in certain sets of things. So it's about integrating those. And then we also have a further two dimensions, which is kind of the higher self and the child self. Mm. 
So there's the wisdom, the parent side of ourselves, or the divine side, you know, the wisdom, the purpose, the meaning, the sense of other uh, interconnectedness. And then there's the joy and uh, sort of sense of wonder and curiosity that comes from a child energy. Mm. A healthy adult human being is one who has integrated all of these. Yeah. So you've got the healthy parent and the healthy father in there, strength, courage, focus, resilience, discipline, structure, right, goals, winning. The healthy mother, you know, compassion, empathy, unconditional love, caring, inclusiveness, forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Then you have the wise elder energy, meaning, purpose, right? Big picture, system thinking, and the curiosity, joy of the, of, of a healthy child, right? The fun. Yeah. Without that, you don't get innovation. You don't get creativity, right? So yeah. you need to cultivate all of those. The phrase I, we use, uh, Nilimana, is the wise school of tough love. Mm. You become the wise school of tough love, which means you've cultivated all four of those energies. Yeah. And now you have within you all of those, right? You develop. Like my tendency might be always to come from wisdom and loving, which means I need to dial up my, my toughness and my foolishness. Mm. We, all of us have some defaults. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And therefore I can do that. There are ways I can cultivate those things and become conscious of them, right? And now it's like I've got a full set of golf clubs. Right. When I encounter a situation and I know if I show up with toughness here, it's only going to make it worse. Yeah. And show up with love or I need to show up with wisdom or I need to just lighten the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the flexibility. Well, I love the fact that, you know, some of these what people would call spiritual traditions are actually now getting anchored more in the science of adult development. You know, the work of Keegan and Leahy around vertical development of human beings, of adults. You know, how do adults develop? What are the stages adults go through as they literally grow up? And, um, you know, often we start to think about that in terms of, oh, you know, you're a level three and I'm only a level four, or, you know, I'm a level five. And, you know, you can't understand me because I'm a level three. Um, and the reality is, is that, uh, you know, that you want somebody who's balanced across all of those levels. So I like that way you just blended that of sort of saying, you know, a, a fully functional adult is someone who's able to be very comfortable working across multiple levels. That's um, and that's really important. Yeah. And I think if you look at the greatest leaders that we admire, I mean, they do I mean Dalai Lama embodies to me the wise school of Tapla. <laughs> He's incredibly wise, and then he's always giggling and saying, you know, and playful. And of course, he's incredibly strong, you know, yeah. to Tibet all these years, yeah. and, uh, you know, and loving, you know. So it's all of those. I think great leader Gandhi was like that too, right? So uh, that's the F. And now and the next L is long term orientation. Yes. So this is where you start to say someone who's got a vision and is able to look over time and connect the things we're doing today to the direction of the true north that we're trying to and communicate that very very clearly and come up with you know tangible plans of how they're going to connect what's going on today to that long-term vision right and that can actually go and needs to go even further so what is the time horizon of most leaders you know the typical ceo lasts what three to five years i think in a public company Somewhere in I think it's 4.25 years, something like that. <laughs> it's somewhere in that range, right? Now, if you're a leader who's just looking at that, oh, I finally made it to see you and this is my chance now, 
try to accumulate as much as I can before I, I'm, I'm out of here. Then you're going to have a short time horizon. You're going to do things in the short term in order to achieve those numbers and make your stock options worth something and so forth. And you are knowingly going to plant seeds for future uh, destruction and future harm. Because mm. you have that time horizon and yourself, you know, inner, you know, looking at only your selfish interest out of that. A true leader is one who's thinking beyond their own tenure, to be sure, right? They're setting up the company. In fact, I think it was, was it uh, Paris? Uh, one of the, I forget which author wrote about that, but they said the success of a leader needs to be judged by the success of their successor. In other words, how did they set up the company, right? To be successful outside of their own tenure there, right? So what happens yeah. after they're gone? Right, so certainly yeah, that at the minimum, but beyond that, you know, we need to think in terms of, you know, uh, developmental, you know, decades, if not centuries. As you know, there's the tradition in some of the native tribes in the Iroquois Confederacy in the northeast of the U.S. here, which was that anybody who became a chief had to think about mm. every decision, considering the sec next seven generations. Yeah, yeah. To the extent that we are able to gauge that, but that's the idea. It's way beyond your lifetime. Yeah. Right? You're not, you're not, you're playing a long game here. You're playing kind of an infinite game as Simon Sinek's new book is called, right? It's not just about winning narrowly defined in this yeah. time period. It's about the ability to continue this company and continue doing the great things we're doing indefinitely. Well, I think Jim Collins gave an interesting example. He said the difference between clock builders and time tellers mm. and this idea that, um, you know, a good leader leaves behind clocks um, that will exist long beyond the time they're there versus a more short-term focused leader is like telling people the time, right. not enabling them to have that other capability. It's what I like to refer to sometimes as uh, responsible stewardship. Mm -hmm. and, and I do think it's an interesting challenge over what responsible stewardship means today and in particularly the time horizons. Because I do think that there's uh, sort of one argument that says, you know, the seven generations question, you know, we've got to be thinking about the seven generations when we make a decision. And then very practically, you know, the, the, the medium term over the next three to five years, where do I want to bring this organization and keep that focus there while um, not getting lost in the pressure of the short term? And a strong leader with a long-term focus manages to, to resist a lot of, there's a lot of pressure that comes, you know, especially now in the time of coronavirus and, and costs are what they are, but revenue is going away. A lot of pressure right now to make some short-term decisions. Mm -hmm. But if one is looking with a stewardship and a responsible stewardship mindset, then you're looking out over the next two or three years or five years and how do I make sure this organization's thriving in that time frame? I've got to make some, some balances there. And being able to hold both those perspectives is right. what I think really is an incredibly important uh, characteristic of, of a, of a long-term oriented leader. Right. And that then connects to the, the remaining three I'll just mention together. So it's emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, and systems intelligence. Mm. Right, and they all go together. Let's just talk about systems first, because not only thinking long term, right, in terms of time, but also across, right. So understanding that everything is interconnected and interdependent, and what are the consequences, all of the consequences of these decisions that we're making, and how do we make sure that every part of the system that we are part of ultimately thrives, and recognizing 
that this planet is one system. Mm. And within that, of course, every system is nested within a larger system. Yeah. So we need yeah. to understand at a deep level how all of these things function together. You know, very few leaders actually have that capacity. And we don't teach it in business school, by the way. I think this is almost like a malpractice. Yeah. Most business we teach about culture, we don't teach systems thinking. I've seen it manifested in some companies where I'm in a, in a client right now where we're having this discussion about the difference between um, complicated and complex. But yeah. there are complicated problems. And, you know, in a sense, complicated problems can be solved with a linear mindset. We just work away and we will solve the problem. When you get into the world of systems, you get into complexity and you get into a place where maybe there aren't, there are nonlinear approaches that need to be taken, you know, the Otto Schirmer or Joseph Jaworski theory you approach of, you know, listen, if we could figure this out, we would, <laughs> but we can't. So we need to really shift the mindset we bring to problem solving to say we need to understand the system and we need to get multiple points of view in the room. We need to be thinking about multiple different scenarios and it's a different way of problem solving. Right. And so this systems level thinking uh, is really about dealing with very complex problems that can't be yeah. linearly. And every company faces those, and we all face those collectively, right? So we have to make sure, otherwise we are part of the problem. We are adding to all of the challenges that we face if we don't take a systems lens on it. And yeah. then the other two, emotional intelligence, of course, we don't need to explain very much, but knowing yourself and interpersonal, you know, inner awareness about your own emotional state, and then how do you, and the interpersonal uh, intelligence as well, uh, I mean, those are essential qualities, right? And Daniel Goldman's work and many others now, that's pretty much front and center. And we're recognizing, you know, we used to only care about IQ, mm. right? Because the smart people became the, the leaders if they could they also deliver the numbers. But now we recognize, of yeah. course, there's partners eight or nine kinds of intelligence, right? The good news about these and spiritual intelligence, of course, understanding the role of meaning and purpose in our life. And so that deeper connecting, being connected to a deeper source, whether you are religious mm. or spiritual, however you think about that. The great news about all of these last three is, unlike your IQ, which is fixed pretty much at birth, mm. you're born with a certain you know, genetic uh, capacity for intel analytical intelligence, as far as I know. Yeah. But, and it can only go down or you can sustain it by make, making sure you stay sharp. But these other three can be grown by leaps and bounds. Mm. You can increase your emotional intelligence dramatically as, as with the other two as well. And, and they ultimately matter more. So yeah. can be developed. Well, the emotional intelligence one I, I, I like because it comes back to the me and the we question. You know, in essence, at one level, when Goldman's talking about emotional intelligence, he's talking in a sense about my own self-awareness and my own self-management. How good am I at doing those kinds of things? Um, and then there's the we element, which is my empathy, the uh, ability I have to sort of have empathy and social awareness of how others are feeling and relationship management. How do I, you know, how do I create good, positive relationships with the people around me? And so it's, it's again, to the me and the we, we woven together. Uh, and, you know, when we think about those as important leadership qualities, that's what we mean by the emotional intelligence and the me and the we. Yeah. And then I think systems thinking brings in the world as well right so it's me we world again all of those uh, it goes right back to that and then you know i know we've both had uh, you know 
time with Cindy Wigglesworth and, and her book on spiritual IQ and, and the idea of spiritual intelligence. And um, how would you summarize that, Raj, as opposed to, let's say, emotional intelligence? I think it's understanding the role of meaning and purpose in our lives, right? I think to me that's, that's sort of the, uh, uh, the essential aspect of spiritual intelligence, that there is something that motivates us, drives us from a deep place. We don't quite understand it. Uh, you don't have to believe in heaven or hell. You don't have to believe in reincarnation, you know, as people in India do and many others do. Uh, and yet there's still something within us mm. that is transcendent, right? That says it's more than what we see in the material world. It's more than your lifespan, right? There's something, we are wired. We're wired to care and we're wired also for transcendence, to think about the bigger picture beyond what, what is immediately going to impact us in a narrow way in our lifetime, right? So there is that spiritual hunger that exists inside most of us hunger for meaning and purpose, for transcendence, uh, for grace. You know, it is, it is the source, it is the most potent fuel we have inside us. Mm. But never tap into that because we're, we're just tapped into the material needs and the survival needs and all of that. Right? Yeah. What really causes people like Viktor Frankl and others, you know, and anybody who does great things in the world, they are driven by something deeper. Yeah, I, I think at one level, it is, uh, in a sense, that this switch from living in an egocentric kind of way where um, our level of awareness is very tight around the me and my needs to, in a sense, whatever one wants to call it, one higher self, higher presence, higher power, spirit of life, God, the yeah. sense of God. Um, Human beings across the centuries in our spiritual traditions have one thing constant, which is that ev evolution, uh, the, the dying to that small self and growing into that larger sense of self where truth and goodness and empathy and compassion come much more naturally. Um, and you sense that it, when you're in a, in the presence of someone who's a little more on that side than not. And sure. that in itself creates a lot of trust and, um, and connection. When somebody authentically is coming from that place, you sense it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Raj, that's been a, a, a great um, acronym for us, selfless. And we've, uh, we've gone through basic definition of leadership, what we think conscious leadership is, and then some of the traits that exist around it. And next time we'll delve a little deeper into all of this. But thanks so much for your energy and enthusiasm today. Thank you, Timothy. I always look forward to our conversations. It's the highlight of my week. Ah, wonderful. So thank you everybody for listening and uh, if you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to reach us on our website, theconsciouscapitalists.com. There's a little form where you can submit your feedback. And as always, feel free to click the subscribe button on whatever device or service you're using to listen to this podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.